This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Recently, there have been some commotions about teachers having to pay for their parking in schools. And it was a bit of a rah-rah at some point. But for this news, though it is true, in reality, it affects only a selected group of people. But it's largely of no concern to most people who are not teachers, who don't own cars, and who don't read newspapers. I know some have to pay parking here, but well, for the rest, it doesn't really matter this is true or not. But imagine with me for a moment that tomorrow the newspaper splashed across with this big header that the asteroid the size of the moon is heading towards Earth in 2020. Okay, the asteroid is, is a rock from space and it's normally small. Uh, it's not the size of a moon. If it's a moon, you'll be called a dwarf planet. But forget the terms. Imagine they just use the term everyone knows. That asteroid is hitting Earth in 2020. Well, how would that affect you? How relevant would that news be to you? I think it literally is a world of difference if it's just a Hollywood advertisement for the next Big Bang movie or it is a news that every country is splashing across by every government. Well, unlike the parking news, this will become totally relevant to you and to me because it literally makes a difference. Truths have different weights. Different truths carry different weights. Now, how about the news of Easter? For some people, they might think for a moment that Easter or the resurrection of Jesus is just like the first news. It, it, it relates to the religious fanatics, to some Christians, but it's really not that important to me. But Easter, as we come today, I would like to suggest that is not the case at all. For the reality of death is real for all of us, every one of us, you and me. That every single human being ever born, is being born right now, or will be born in the future, they will all, and we will all have to face the asteroid of death that is coming towards us, and it will not stop. And we know it, because it has hit many people that we have loved. And because of that, all of us are confronted by death. This news of Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, then becomes something really really relevant. Now, here's the thing about Easter or the resurrection of Jesus, this so-called news about Jesus. It is actually irrelevant and totally useless if it's a myth or just a hoax. But if it's historically true, then it becomes critically and crucially urgent for us to know. Or to put it another way, if Jesus did not rise from the dead historically, Christianity becomes a false hope that you should run as fast as you can away from. But if Jesus did rise from the dead historically, as prophesied and splashed across the ancient scriptures, then we need to realize and start to find out what did the scriptures say. So this is, the level of seriousness when we talk about Easter or when we talk about 
the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, so serious it is that the, the Bible itself warned Christian this way. Let me read this to us from 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 19, which is just a few verses after today's passage. But, but let me read this seriousness to us. Paul says this, if Christ, referring to Jesus, has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sin, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died, are lost. If only this life we have hope in Christ, meaning there's no resurrection, then we, Christians, are of all people most to be pitied. Because if resurrection is not true, you should pity Christians. They're the most pathetic people in this world. So dear friends, this afternoon, being Christ, uh, Easter Sunday, I'd like to invite us for a moment to step into the ancient scriptures, into the historical facts laid before us, and I want to ask two life-changing or challenging questions for us to contend with today. And these are the two questions. The first question is this, is the resurrection of Jesus historically true? Is the resurrection of Jesus historically true? And if it is, what does that mean for you and for me? I've got these two questions to challenge us today. And if you're ready to jump in, I'll invite you to jump in with me. In fact, when you jump in, wear, don't wear a scientist hat, wear a historian's hat with me because we're jumping into history. As we look at how it declares the historicity of Jesus. In fact, I'll begin with today's passage just from verse 3b. For us, if you have a bulletin, you keep it open. That's where it says in verse 3. It says this, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Now here's the historical background of today's passage that I will paint for us. The writer I is the Apostle Paul. He wrote this letter to a church in Corinth in around the time AD 53-54. But as, G, as Paul writes this letter, he's not trying to write new teachings. He's writing uh, about a Jesus who had just died about 20 years before this letter was written. And he wants to tell them not something he has derived, but something that he had received early on, that between these 20 years he has been going around churches telling them, and now in AD 53-54 he's reminding them. So he's bringing something that is actually in a close proximity of the first Easter and what he's been doing and now he's reminding them of what he's saying. So what is Paul, what has Paul received and now he wants to remind them as we look on? It is actually this, he's giving them a creed, a declaration of Jesus who is known as the Christ because this creed is the foundation of the whole Christian faith. In the times where people don't write things down, they don't have paper, people may not know literacy and everything, the creed is crucially important for them to know what is the foundation of what you are. And it's not a whole big theology, it was four key things, four events that he has to make Christians, Christians, it is the same when Paul wrote it and it's the same today in 2018. So historically, this creed is held by Christians right after the first Easter, and if we want to summarize this creed, we can do it with four words. Four words. It's in your bulletin. Died, buried, raised, appeared or seen. Let me say that again. 
the four words died, buried, raised, and seen. Let me read this for us from verse 3 onwards in today's passage. For I received, I, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures and that he was seen and then by a whole list of people with names and groups. So Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised, Christ appeared or Christ was seen. These are the four key things in, in the foundation of Christianity. And I'd like to invite us to consider the historical basis of each of these four words so that we can grasp the basis of what Christians are and who we are in Christ. So the first word is died. Look at it again in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. Well, the first important fact Paul is raising here that the, is that the life and the death of Jesus have actually been written and splashed across ancient scriptures for the longest time. There's always been there in the Old Testament. For example, just 700 years before Jesus' time, um, the prophet Isaiah, he wrote in his famous book in 53 chapters. Let me just read to you what he says about Jesus. He says this, Isaiah 53 verse 8b, For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. So according to scriptures, Jesus had to die and be punished with death in order to absorb the sin that we have. That he would be assigned a grave that belongs to someone rich. Now, among other passages, if we just moved even a few hundred years before Isaiah, we go just a hundred years before Jesus. Jesus' forefather, David, he wrote this in the second, 22nd of his Psalms that he wrote. Let me just read to you. And it became a literal historical event of, of, um, of Easter, of Good Friday. Let me just read this from Psalm 22, where the Christ would cry out, of how God had forsaken him. Let me read just three verses. I'm poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They, they pierce my hands and my feet. They divide up my clothing among them and cast lot for my garments. And you know what? All this happened on that first Good Friday. It was exactly what happened at Jesus' sacrificial death for sins in this way. Now, of course, the death of Jesus on Good Friday is as historical, and it must be as historical as what the ancient scriptures have splashed across for hundreds of years. Because the death of Jesus, his crucifixion was witnessed by the whole city of Jerusalem. His enemies, his opponents were under the cross, watching him and mocking him, making sure that he dies. We've seen that in Matthew 27. I wouldn't read that to you, but as we move on in the gospel, we give the testimony of how even a Roman centurion was there, a professional executioner, was there to make sure that Jesus really died. Let me just read this for us from John 19, 33. 
the his, historical account of this. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. John making a point that as you read this, you know that it's a testimony of eyewitness of this event. The death of Jesus was carefully executed by a professional killer, was closely witnessed by his opponents who once him dead, and was properly recorded in details in scriptures, in the Gospels, to show how it really fulfills the scripture. And if this is true, then it becomes totally relevant to us because the death of Jesus, if it fulfills the ancient scriptures, then the rest of the ancient scriptures or the Old Testament becomes alive, becomes true. It means that when the scripture says God exists, He does exist. That if there's a God who will judge at the end of the day, any evil and sin and rebellion that has fallen off the cracks, you will not escape the final one because there is no cracks on the final judgment. And if the Bible says that God loves us and He offers a way, Jesus, Jesus' death is the way, according to Scripture, to absorb the judgment that we have. That His death on the cross, according to Scriptures, gives us the answer to all the questions as we look at this world and say, where is justice that the world cannot give? And scripture says, it will be given. And on that day, justice will be served to you as well, unless you have a way out. And God says, the cross is the way. There's a price to pay, but God offers the way. But now, of course, some who are skeptics, they may say, wait a minute, Andrew, but did Jesus even exist? You gave me this book and say everything there is true, but did Jesus even exist? Well, no serious historian, I'm asking you to wear a historian hat because if you look around, no serious historian have ever, with good evidence, say that the Bible is not historical, nor was Jesus a mere myth. Just look at the libraries, go online, and you'll find there are tons of historical facts about the reality of Jesus, the historicity of Jesus, which we don't have time to go through today, but I'll give you at least one and think a few for you on that. Let me, let me give you an example of a writing by this Greco-Roman historian called Tychitus. He's considered historically one of the best historians of the Roman times. He, he writes this in AD 116, 117. He has this major works that people look to to understand the Roman history. It's called the Annals. And in it, he includes an event of the Roman emperor Nero. He's trying to blame Christian for a fire that happened in AD 64. And it, it is about a fire, but in that he mentions the death of Jesus. Let me read this to you. It's an extract that I'm reading. Um, translated in English by this man called Robert Van Boris. But let me read this, what um, Tychitus says. To put down the rumor, Nero substituted as culprits and punished in the most unusual way those hated for their shameful acts, whom the crowd called Christians. 
the founder of this name Christ, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. So that guy is not a Christian, but he's just telling you this is the fact of this man who died, according to history, to Pontius Pilate. Well, there are other non-Christian records that speak of the first Christians or of Jesus as historic person. There are early works by a Jewish historian called uh, Flavius Josephus. He was around AD 66, 670. There's the Jewish Talmud that you can look to. The writings of this historian called Tellius. He's a Samaritan uh, historian or Lucian, a second century Greek writer and others. Uh, the list can go on if you, uh, you find this is important and crucial to you. You can look for them. They are available. But here, there is no ambiguity of the death of Christ in scriptures as well as in history. There's no ambiguity that there is such a man called Jesus who became the head of Christianity. The difference, perhaps, between Christian and non-Christians is Jesus is just part of, his, of their history as a sideline. But for Christian, Jesus is the center of everything. So that's the difference. But historically, he is a historical person. In fact, as we go back to the gospel records, the Christian eyewitnesses of Jesus, they didn't leave out the details even of the tomb that Jesus was buried. There was a personal tomb that Jesus was in. It's owned by a rich man called Joseph of Arimathea. He was recorded in all four gospels. And let me just read you one of them in Mark 15, verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, Jewish council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, and asked for Jesus' body. Now, Joseph being a prominent member of the Jewish council, there's no obscurity when the first reader reads this account to say, is there such a man? Like if you find out, you want to find out who is your MP, you can find the history. You want to find out the councils, who are the prominent councils of the Jews. Just a decade or two, he's there. You want to find out, does he own a tomb? Well, you can find out according to the records. And so it is not, it's not just a myth that's written that, but it's a, it's a, tr- it's a historical fact that people validate when you first write your history. Now, now we've gone through the first two, but if, if we just end at just the first half of the creed that Christ died according to scripture, he was buried, none of this is sufficiently relevant for us. If the second half of the creed didn't exist, that Christ was raised and Christ appeared. Because unless he is seen or he's appearing, every man dies. And this is a great man. He did die. But that's not enough. And that's why the creed goes on with the next two. Let me read from verse 4b onwards. And that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures and he was seen by a whole list of people by names and groups. Now, Jesus Christ being raised and being seen are so closely intertwined. Because if he's raised and he's not seen, you can't really say he's, he's raised. But before we uh, think about uh, how Jesus was unexpectedly seen alive, it is helpful for us to see he, how he was, uh, where he was expectedly to appear and he was missing. So we'll look at the empty tomb 
And it will lead us into seeing the resurrected Jesus. Because here we have on the third day of his death, his, his tomb was empty. And that's a big issue because Jesus has been speaking about it in the Gospels again and again and again. He said, I'm going to die three days later, I'm going to rise. He said it so many times, his opponents heard about it and they're going to make sure that it doesn't happen. In fact, let me read Matthew 12, 40 for us and just a picture of what Jesus said. Matthew 12, 40, Jesus said this, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be there three days and three nights. In the heart of the earth. And different, and in another account in Luke 24, 46, Jesus told his disciples, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from dead on the third day. And again, if you go on to Psalm 16, 10 or Isaiah 53, it talks of God's chosen one, he will die, but he will not decay. He will have to raise and be risen from the dead. So as we look at all this account, then it becomes an amazing thing even as we think about the empty tomb and the historical account. That all four accounts give that Jesus' tomb was empty, but the people who were the eyewitness were women. And this is weird. In a good account of that time, if, if, if people want it to be authentic, because here you have the eyewitness of the empty tomb. Women while the men were licking their wounds at home. And this is the account. Let me read this for us from Luke 24. <coughs> On the first day of the week, early, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their face to the ground, but the man said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remember his words. So what happened? They went back from the tomb. They told all these things to Eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them and told this to the apostles. But listen to this. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Why is it mentioned this way? First of all, it's it's just unbelievable event for the eleven who are licking their wounds. But second, women's words were not taken seriously. In, in those days, it's, it's so shocking. Let me read this to you, what they view about women's words as a suitable testimony. Okay, this is not my words, women. This is the words from Flavius Josephus in Antiquity 4.8.15 about Jewish tradition. He says this, from women, let no, let not evidence be accepted because of the levity, the likeness, and the temerity, the audacity of their sex. Or the Jews' Talmud, Sotah, had it more blunt. Sooner let the words of the law be burned than delivered to women. Well, surely this is not the case in our modern world, and this is definitely not the case in my house. Because the women in my house are wiser than the men of the house. I'm talking about me and my wife. But that is the case in the first century Jewish culture. 
And so it is really unusual or not suitable for women to be used as eyewitnesses in all the accounts of such a prominent event unless it is true. You've got no choice. Like it or not, that is the truth and that's what is being written. And of all this, it's not just the women. As you read on the accounts, the opponents of Jesus, they realized the tomb was empty and they were upset because they had sent their guards to guard it and it was gone. So when the, the, the opponents of Jesus in history, when they try to argue, they don't, they do not argue whether Jesus was, um, Jesus' tomb was, um, misplaced or misunderstood. They, they say that it was, the body was stolen and, and, and the guards were asleep. So they themselves could not deny the empty tomb. They are just trying to find a reason for the empty tomb. They say the, the disciples took it and they fabricate this truth. But if you are a historian, we'll continue our journey and we'll ask, do the disciples really fabricate this truth? Is this real? Um, that it is true or is it being fabricated? And the answer is that it has to be true. And here's where the final words of the creed comes in that Jesus was seen by many. Verse 5, look at it as I read this for us. Look at the amount of eyewitnesses that are there. Verse 5, And he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, by over 500 brothers on one occasion, of whom majority remain until now. But some have fallen asleep by James, then to all the apostles, last of all by me also as if to aborted baby. Now, there were undisputable eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus by Cephas, also known as Peter, by Jesus' inner circle, by 500, most are still alive. Now, remember, Paul writes his letter when? AD 53, 54. Just two decades since Jesus died and rose, many of the eyewitnesses are well and alive. Now we can understand how fresh our memories can be, even of things that happened 20 years ago, wouldn't it? Many of us were alive when Princess Diana died in 1997, 31st August. You may not be there, you may have watched it on TV if you have. You may have forgotten everything, but you will remember the music that Elton John playing the piano, and with this big wig, and he's singing Candle, um, what, Candle in the Wind? And you can almost imagine the picture comes and you come in. It's 20 years ago, but it's just there. And for me, like me and my wife, last week we just went on a, uh, a fun fair to our alma mater, uh, our junior college. It's been more than 20 over years. As we walk in, I could tell my son, son, there's a big smiley face right there and let's see if he's there and he was there. So me and my wife, we'll bring our kids and say, hey, let me show you where daddy and mommy used to eat, play badminton, do our homework, where's the hall, and we just walk them in. And, and it was like yesterday. Perhaps it was significant because that's my wife now. She, she was not even my girlfriend back then, but, but 20 years was a flash and I could remember the details of the smiley face on the car park. 20 years is not a long time for memory. Some of you can remember 40 years. 20 years is not a long time you have seen a dead man walking on the street. As Paul writes this in AD 53-54, it's a creed, but it's also a big challenge to say, check out the guys 
across the village, across the city or town. 500 of them, 11 apostles, and the least goes on. There are too many eyewitnesses for Paul to write a harsh conspiracy or blind faith statement. It's easily validated and it has been. So eyewitnesses were still alive. And if that is not sufficient, Paul chips in right at the end. Not just them, even me. You guys, do you know my story? You know I was the best at persecuting Christians. I was the best at putting prisons and dragging Christians, whether they are men and women, young or old, I would drag them into the prison. But when I saw Jesus resurrected, I could not deny it anymore. And we thank God because when He gave up everything and only preached the gospel, that is what we hear in today's letter. No, early disciples of Jesus, they have every reason not to believe in Jesus. But if they have seen one, there's no other options than to accept and to proclaim it. Denial is no longer an option for those who have seen it. There's this man called Charles Cozen. I don't know if you all have heard his name. He died just a few years ago in 2012. He was a former AD of the American president, Richard Nixon, he was partially involved in the infamous Watergate scandal. Do you know the Watergate scandal? Perhaps some of you do, perhaps some of you don't. Let's put it this way, the scandal was enough for the President of the United States to resign. That was the scandal. Okay? It happened in the 70s. He was the first member of Nixon administration in prison for the Watergate-related charges. He was a fairly new Christian when he pleaded guilty. He was transformed by the gospel. When he was released, he founded a prison Fellowship Ministry became the world's biggest outreach to prisoners, ex-prisoners, and families. And being involved in that famous scandal, he gave this speech, which became known as the Watergate and the Resurrection of Jesus. I didn't put the words out, but I want to read it to you. So as I read him, uh, listen to this. Okay, off this slide, as I, as I read to you what Charles Cozen said. The eleven apostles and Paul went about the then known world for 40 years proclaiming their monstrously offensive statement that Jesus had risen from the dead. Never, never, though they endured persecution, beating, prison, ultimately all but one, a martyr's death, did they ever renounce the fact of the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what is this good to do with the Watergate? Colson continued. Um, Elrichman, Alderman Mitchell, myself, and the rest, we believe passionately in the President Nixon, and we had our fingertips at every imaginable power and privileges. Yet even at the prospect of jeopardizing the President, even at the fact, in the face of all the privileges of the powerful, of the most powerful office in the world, the threat of embarrassment, perhaps Jill, was so overpowering and the instinct for self-preservation so overwhelming that one by one, those involved deserted their president to save their own skin. The Watergate demonstrates human nature. No one can ever make me believe that 11 ordinary men would for 40 years endure persecution, beatings, prison and death without ever once renouncing that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. 
Only an encounter with the living God could have kept those men steadfast. Otherwise, Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, would have been just like John Dean, run to prosecutors to save his own skin. After all, John uh, Peter had already done that three times. No, the evidence is overwhelming. Those men held to that testimony because they had seen Christ raised from the dead. A man of great power who could not stand with his president says, humans, we can't do this for 40 years and die for it. Every one of them. Because they just can't deny truth. If it's not truth, you will have fallen apart. Now, dear friends, if the resurrection of Jesus is not true, the apostle says, Christians, you are the most pathetic human beings because your hope is useless. But friends, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, then we need to engage with all that has been splashed across scriptures because there is a God who can give life a God who will bring judgment at the end, a God who will deal with evil, sin, and rebelling against Him. Now, after the asteroid of death comes upon every single one of us, we will have to face the ultimate face of God. Now, unless we turn from our sins, call on Jesus for forgiveness, to depend on Him for rescue and a place in heaven, there is nowhere else to escape. And this is the truth if the resurrection is true. If it is according to Scripture and it's been fulfilled, all the other promises in Scriptures, whether life or death, salvation or judgment, heaven or hell, all these things will have to come to pass. Just like the death and the resurrection. Historical resurrection of Jesus, it proved His identity, proved His power, and it proved His words. If it is true, then we have to listen. Because even if we do not listen, it will come to pass. For the Apostle Paul changed every for Apostle Paul everything changed when he realized this, and this is what happened, he said in verse nine to eleven. Let me just read what happened to him. For I am the least of the apostles, do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. The story of Paul is well known. And he wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. It was not in vain, as he said, and it's true. The truth about Jesus was not without effect on Paul. And the same goes for you and me. It will have its effect on us. If it is true, then this news is more than relevant than even the greatest natural disaster news you can ever hear. Even if the real dwarf planet does strike Earth, the resurrection of Jesus, the news is greater because He deals with what comes after death. So what should we do if the death and resurrection of Jesus is true and that the imminent judgment of God is real. And here we come back to the first two verses of today's passage. And this is the last part where we'll close. Uh, but I want to close us with a challenge. Let me read, read first two verses for us then. First then we'll look at the challenge for us. First Corinthians 5, 1-2 Now brothers and sisters, 
I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. Now we're four words about Jesus Christ, the Christ. He died, he was buried, he was raised, and he was sinned. Now I want to give us four words for those who are to be Christians. And these four words come from these first two verses. In this content, the first one is to remember, to receive, to stand and to hold. Let me say that again, to remember, to receive, to stand and to hold. Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to you. That Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was risen, and Christ was seen. The gospel is historically true, and we must remember that He is the Son of God, He is the Savior, and He is the Lord of this world. Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to you. Number two, receive. Receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and be a Christian. To, that it, it means to repent of our sins, to turn to Jesus, and if you trust that He did rise from the dead, and He holds life and death, that we come to Him as our Lord, as well as our Rescuer. Repent our sins, bow before Him, ask Him to take our sins away, rip it off us, and put it on the cross, and put on, be called children of God, that He has placed on us. Receive the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and become a Christian. The third word, stand, stand, or take our stand as Christians, who believe in the Gospel it means being a Christian is not merely a, a, a moment of emotions. It's not just a confession for that one time, but it is a stand that we make, being convinced of the gospel. It means that the world is no longer whom we serve, crisis. It means that the world is no longer what detects us, but Christ does. It's no longer the world that decides how our life should be, because Jesus is the giver of this life and the life to come. So we stand not on emotion, confession alone, but we stand on the gospel because that is life. And finally, hold, to hold firmly this gospel till the very end so that we do not live in vain because it is by the gospel we are saved. It's not by good work. It's by the gospel that we are rescued and not by what we have done and achieved in our life. It is by the gospel we have come to know God and it's by the gospel that we'll finish and be with God. So it's just a short summary, but this is what is called on for those who believe and want to believe and trust in Jesus, that we will remember, that we will receive, and that we will stand upon it, and we will hold on now until we finish, because at the end of it is where Paul says, and that's where you are saved. Don't let go of it, or it will be in vain. Hold on to it, because this is the gospel that saves no, dear friends, truths have different weights. If I tell you the truth of why I ate during lunch, it makes no difference to you. But the truth of the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus, if it is true, it changes everything. Whether you accept or reject the gospel or the scriptures, it will happen. Friends, if you are someone who has not believed in Christ, I want to invite you to think about it to consider, to search, to research, do all you can, validate, so that at least you can throw it aside with peace, or to grab hold of it as life. I'm not trying to persuade you using my words. You go and read it. You go and engage with it, so that you can peacefully reject it, or grab hold of it, 
because it determines your life and death. But if you're a Christian and you really believe, let's hold on to what Paul has said. Then remember, Paul takes, finds it no trouble to remind and remind and remind the Corinthians, remember what you have received, that you stand on it and you hold firmly because that is where we will finish our journey. I'd like to close this time on this Easter Sunday on prayer, to pray to God, and after that we will have some time for Q&A and a bit more thinking together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He truly died according to the gospel to save us. He was buried on the third day. He was truly risen from the dead. He was seen by hundreds of witnesses who dies because they cannot deny So help us to remember the gospel. Help us to believe and receive the gospel, calling Jesus Lord and Savior. Help us to stand firm when it's tough on a historical basis of the resurrection. And help us to hold firmly by the power of your Holy Spirit till Christ comes back for us and then give us the same resurrection he had revealed to us. For your glory we give thanks. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.